Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash deathdyingpod. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is also brought to you by BarkBox.com. Get one free extra month of BarkBox at getbarkbox.com slash deathdyingpod. You're listening to the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Just a quick shout out to Daniel Smith for supporting the show on Patreon. It means a lot. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash death dying on other things. Any little bit helps. Now on to the show. Open bodies of water have always freaked me out. Not just the ocean either, I mean. Sure, the ocean is big and unknown and full of terrifying creatures. But lakes, too. Something about the murky water just makes me feel like a creature is just about to attack. What's down there on the lake bed? Creepy crawlies, for sure. This month, on Death, Dying, and Other Things, a story about something found on the lake bed. In a rusty blade, a man finds an old knife. Death and dying, the thresholds between this world and the next, the boundary between light and dark, the barrier between worlds, and that's where we're going. We are going into the shadows to bring you stories of horror and heartbreak. From the Modern Horrors Podcast Network, this is Death, Dying, and Other Things. I'm Justin Buskey. Stay with us. The knife laid on the bottom of Pinewood Lake for 35 years before Michael Niles snagged it with his fishing line. It was early morning. He had taken his small rowboat down the shoreline of the lengthy lake to a small inlet he'd fished many times before. He tied a small jig to the end of his line, scooped his hand into the coffee can full of moist soil, searching for a wriggling earthworm he'd pulled from his garden the night before. He usually fished with earthworms, nearly always from his own yard. And now he found his quarry and plunged the jig's hook into the midpoint of its writhing body, then wrapped it around the hook and impaled the creature again and again, and a fourth time for good measure. Michael cast his line, let the jig sink, and waited patiently as his line laid across the lake bed. He waited for a long time. Under the surface, the earthworm spasmed and reached and tried to swim away, and soon the cold water lowered its body temperature such that it stopped its pointless struggling. Soon, Michael grew impatient, and because it was Monday and he had a day full of work ahead of him, he thought to pull up the line, try a few more spots, and head home. He yanked the pole and began reeling, at first, he thought he had a bite. The line was laden with something heavy, 
and he tugged and reeled a bit, but it wouldn't budge. Michael backed off, not wanting to break the line. There were no tremors, no vibrations that usually accompany a fish on the hook, and so he figured it must be caught on some plant life, perhaps a fallen branch that had sunk into the depths. Finally, a last solid tug freed the line, and Michael reeled it in. The line was much heavier than expected, and when he finally got the end of the line to the boat, he saw why. His jig had snagged a knife, rusty with years and caked with grime, around the guard. The worm impaled on Michael's hook wrapped itself around the pitted wooden handle, and as it hung there, the blade rotated toward Michael's chest. He laughed to himself, imagining the small worm taking hold of the knife and threatening to stab him in retaliation for using it as bait. Michael tossed the rusty knife into the kitchen sink on his way to the bathroom to take a shower, and decided that he'd try to clean it off that night after work. It seemed like a good knife, besides the rust and the rotted handle, and both of those things were well within Michael's skill to fix. As the cool water washed over him, Michael always took cool showers, he thought about the best way to remove the rust. He had some rust cleaner in the garage, he was pretty sure. While he soaked up, he thought about how to fix the handle. He'd have to discard the one that was on there currently. There was no saving that. But he had some scrap of walnut that he thought would be just the right size. He rinsed off and was grateful to have a small project to work on, and one that was right up his alley and perfectly achievable, and at the end might even result in an object he could sell for a little bit of beer money. Once he had toweled off, he combed his hair, dressed, grabbed the brown sack he'd left in the fridge the night before, and headed to work. At the end of each shift, once Michael had clocked out at the yard and hopped back into his pickup, is when his exhaustion would catch up to him. He was usually far too busy during his long workday and on his feet to boot to have a chance to slow down and feel the effects of such strenuous work on his mind and body. But once he'd closed the door to his pickup, and he sank into the cushioned seats ever so slightly. He felt his muscles soften and his usual knife's edge mental acuity dull somewhat. It surprised him, each and every day, how he felt as though he could throw his head back and be asleep in moments. He started the truck and concentrated fully on the twenty-minute drive back to his house, through the winding back roads on the bank of Pinewood Lake. Michael found the rusty knife where he had left it, in the sink. The lake water clinging to the blade and handle had mostly dried and he saw the residue of several rusty trails that ran down the stainless steel and down the drain. He ran the faucet and rinsed off the knife, then the sink, and then toweled off the knife with paper towels. Michael grabbed a beer out of the fridge and cracked it to take a sip. He wrapped his left hand around the knife's handle and the neck of the beer, clamping down on both tightly so that he had a free hand, and then fetched a drop cloth out of the hallway closet. He spread this out on the living room carpet underneath the coffee table and placed the blade and beer on the table. Then he flipped on the baseball game. 
in the garage, he could still smell the heat from his pickup's engine, and still hear the vehicle settling into its nightly resting place as he grabbed a bottle of rust remover and several rags. It was then that Michael noticed a small cut on his left arm. Small enough that he hadn't noticed, but deep enough that a thick red rivulet flowed from it, snaked down his forearm, and over the top of his middle finger. He wiped the blood with one of the rags, and then noticed he'd left a trail of red droplets on the floor. The trail led all the way from his current spot in the garage, back to the coffee table. Only three drops ended up on the carpet, thanks to the drop cloth he had put down, and after putting a bandage over that small but potent nick, the blood trail was easy enough to clean up. Michael slid open his windows, letting the cool evening breeze coming in off the lake drift through his home. He stood for a second and let the breeze flow over his face, and he smiled. He situated himself on the floor, in front of the coffee table, between the table and the couch, a location ideal for not only working on de-rusting the knife, but also watching the baseball game. And he set to work. He upturned the bottle of rust remover into one of the rags, and took up the knife in his hand. He pinched the knife between the rag and began rubbing, at first watching the red and brown crust peel away from the knife and stain the rag bit by bit, and then turning his attention to the next pitch on the game playing on the television across the room. After a few minutes, he repeated the process, upturning the bottle of rust remover, pinching the blade, and rubbing the rust off for several minutes. Michael's living room, in turn, took on a light chemical smell, which would then be cleared by the gentle lake breeze. He repeated the process of filling a rag with rust remover and rubbing the knife for a third time. The rust had started to come off in earnest, revealing in a one-quarter-sized location where he had been focusing his efforts the deeply pitted blue steel of a knife that had spent so much time underwater. He realized he'd need more rags for this job. When Michael stood up, the wind from outside met him, blowing cool air in a sustained flow across his entire body. He stood for a moment and relished it, turning to look out of his open windows into the dark night. He could see the twinkling reflection of the moon off the choppy surface. The breeze zipped past his ears and he swore he heard a voice carried into his living room. He stood still for a second, then grabbed his television's remote and muted the baseball game. Michael listened hard to the gusts dancing through his home, and then the breeze died down, and he didn't hear the voice again. He bent down to gather up the pile of used rags. He planned to throw these into the washing machine and grab several more from the garage. But once he stooped, he saw on the drop cloth a puddle of red, and looking at his right arm found another small cut, short but deep enough that a steady flow of blood was dripping off of his fingers and onto the floor. He held up his right arm and hurried to the kitchen sink, where he rinsed off his arm and put some pressure on the small cut until he was able to apply another small bandage to his arm. After Michael threw the handful of dirty rags into the washing machine, he wondered to himself how he had managed, twice now, 
to cut himself with a dull knife and not notice. He also wondered if he should go get a tetanus shot, and how quickly he should take care of it. He couldn't remember the last time he'd gotten one, or if he ever had, if he was being honest with himself. He scooped up a few more rags from the garage and took a pit stop in the bathroom, where Michael peeled off both bandages and poured rubbing alcohol into the cuts before replacing them. This, he nodded to himself, was good enough. He grabbed a second beer, his hands now full of rags and a bottle, and returned to the living room, where the breeze was blowing again. He stopped short as he again thought he heard a voice carried on the wind. Looking outside, he saw the gleaming moon reflected on the surface of the lake, but not much else. But then he did notice one thing. On the wall below one of his living room windows, the paint was slightly darker than usual. He threw the rags onto the coffee table and strode over to the window, where he found the carpet below the windowsill was wet. Several explanations flipped through Michael's mind. Firstly, maybe it had simply started raining, but that theory was easily debunked. Perhaps spray from the lake had made it to the window, but the bank of the lake was pretty far from his home, all things considered. Unlikely. Perhaps a prank of one of his neighbor's kids? Possible, but impossible to prove. In the end, he sighed and, stepping outside to confirm that it wasn't raining, decided on the simplest course of action, soaking up the water in the carpet with a bath towel and then ignoring it. He sank back down into a spot on the drop cloth between the coffee table and the couch and set back to work. He glanced at the game and realized he'd missed a whole inning while he was up. Sure enough, checking the nearby clock confirmed he'd wasted 20 minutes between dealing with his wounds, fetching new rags, and soaking up mystery water. He soaked a rag with rust remover and rubbed it along the length of the blade, letting the chemical soak into the red and brown buildup. Then he again pinched the knife between two sides of the rag and rubbed. This time the action felt different. Rather than struggling against the rough rust deposits, the motions of his fingers felt smooth. He moved the rag to see the majority of the rust simply flaking off, leaving behind an intact if deeply pitted, knife blade. A few swipes later, and most of the rust had fallen away. Even the wooden handle seemed to be at least partially healed, as if a slight sand and polish would bring it back to life. Michael ran his thumb down the edge with great care, and found his thumb in short order split from the incredibly sharp blade he'd just revealed. He yanked his thumb away from the knife and shoved it into his mouth on instinct. Strange. He leaned back against the front of the couch behind him. The baseball game was almost over and there was already a clear winner, so he turned the TV off and took a deep breath. Looking around, he had a lot of cleaning to do. A pile of rags, bits of rusty metal, and spots of blood surrounded him in his living room. Outside, he heard the wind whistle, and further, he heard the water lapping at the bank of the lake. Suddenly, he felt something cold press against his lower back. He jumped up and looked down in time to see something green and orange recoil under the couch, 
He tipped the couch over, concerned an animal had found its way into his home. It wouldn't have been the first time. Last year, he had a possum that took up residence in his wall, and two years before that, a squirrel found its way into the rafters. There was nothing there, under the couch. Just a wet spot like the one under the window. Michael reached around and felt his back. His shirt was wet, too. Maybe he had just been sweating. Must have been. Michael left the shining knife on the coffee table after he cleaned everything else. He closed the windows and locked the doors. He took a shower to wash the day off and sanitized and rebandaged all three of the cuts he'd gotten from that knife from the bottom of the lake. And then he headed to bed. His bedroom was the only room on the second floor of his home beside a small loft that overlooked his living room. It was small and cozy, and Michael liked it just fine. He had a queen bed that he liked to stretch out across, a point of contention with anyone he'd tried to date in the past. He opened up the two windows in his small bedroom to further enjoy the breeze, which was always better up here anyway and turned on the bedside lamp to read a chapter of the fantasy novel he was currently four chapters into. He laid down, opened the book, and immediately fell asleep. Michael woke up to the wind howling through his room. He glanced at the clock and saw he'd been asleep for perhaps an hour. He put the bookmark back between the same pages he'd taken it out of, put the book on the nightstand, and jumped out of bed to shut both windows, silencing the noise. For a moment, he could have sworn he heard something on the other side of his bedroom door, somewhere out on the loft, or perhaps down in the living room. A squishing noise, not unlike a sponge being wringed out, or a wet towel hung to dry on a towel rack. He listened hard, and didn't hear the noise again, then he cracked the door and looked down into his dark house, but saw nothing. Michael laid back in his bed, slipping into the cool sheets and relishing the feeling against his bare legs. He turned off the reading lamp and closed his eyes to sleep. He found getting back to sleep much more difficult than accidentally falling asleep while reading. He always found this. He'd fall asleep no problem before he even meant to wake up only an hour later, and then lay awake for hours before his mind slowed enough to allow him to rest again. It was a cruel joke, made crueler by the fact that fifteen minutes later, he thought he heard that squishing sound outside his bedroom door once more, and got out of bed to investigate. Michael again cracked the door, peering out into the dark house. He couldn't see anything, but now was concerned about a leaky pipe somewhere. The wet carpet, the unexplained moisture on the wall, and now this intermittent squishing noise had really gotten Michael's mind, imagining black mold growing in his walls. He stepped onto the loft and flipped on a floor light. He looked down on the dim living room, looking for a puddle somewhere in the carpet, and then scanned the ceiling for any dark spots up there. Nothing. Michael felt a pinch on the side of his neck. He reached his hand up and found something sticking out of the skin. He yanked it out and 
examined it between his thumb and index finger. It looked like an oversized bee stinger, long and thin with some sort of sack, with some sort of fluid in it. He suddenly felt dizzy. He glanced once more to the living room and saw the knife missing from the coffee table. His eyes were drawn to some movement in the shadowy corner, then his legs became wobbly, and he tumbled backwards, somehow managing to keep his footing just long enough to reach his bed. Michael found himself completely paralyzed, in a heap at the foot of his bed. His head was trapped beneath his right shoulder, but his eyes were open, and he could see, and perhaps worse, he could think. The squishing sounds started up, and with a door that was wide open, you could hear exactly where it was. Moving across the living room. Then, at the foot of the stairs. Moving up the stairs. Then on the loft just outside his bedroom door. It stayed there for an agonizing amount of time, before squishing into view in his doorway. It was squat, like a person had been put into a vice lengthwise and squeezed down by half. It had two arms and two legs, but it was no human, or at least not anymore. It was missing a head, and its skin was green and orange and bumpy, which reminded Michael of some octopuses he had seen in books as a child. It opened something resembling a mouth, lined with teeth, in what should have been its chest. A lolling tongue flopped out and licked around the perimeter of its mouth. Michael wanted to look away, but not a single muscle in his body would respond to his screaming brain. Just before the thing walked into his room, Michael saw the glint of that damned knife clasped by its tiny, stubby hand. It squished around the bed and squashed out of Michael's sight. Then Michael felt the knife slice through his big toe and heard a slavering crunch before another of his toes met the same fate and another and another. This episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things was produced and edited by me, Justin Buskey. The story, A Rusty Blade, was written by me, too. You can follow me on Twitter, at Justin Buskey. Intro and outro music is by the prolific Eric Warnke. Check him out on SoundCloud. Special thanks to Murky Water and Breezy Nights. Death, Dying, and Other Things is a member of the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Check out all the other shows. They're great. New episodes the second Thursday of every month. This has been Death, Dying, and Other Things, and I've been your host, Justin Buskey. Stay out of the shadows.